I'd invite you to take your bulletins and turn to page 8, where you will find a number of scripture passages printed for you that we're going to be looking at today. We are continuing on in our summer series, which is often a little bit different from what we do other times of the year. The summer, a lot of times we like to take a theme, a topic, and look at what God's Word has to say about that. This summer we're actually going through the book of Proverbs. Uh, to gain wisdom, the wisdom that we need to have in order to be faithful uh, people of God. And we've been looking at various things that the Proverbs tell us about topics like our words, self-control, pride, envy, anger. Today we're going to be looking at what the Proverbs have to tell us about work. I invite you to look as I read to you from the passages that are printed for you on page 8. In all toil, there is profit, but mere talk tends only to poverty. Whoever tends a fig tree will eat its fruit, and he who guards his master will be honored. A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. He who gathers in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who brings shame. The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. Love not sleep, lest you come to poverty. Open your eyes, and you will have plenty of bread. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. The sluggard does not plow in the autumn. He will seek at harvest and have nothing. Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Whoever is slack in his work is a brother to him who destroys. Do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. I passed by the field of a sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense, and behold, it was all overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles, and its stone wall was broken down. The way of a sluggard is like a hedge of thorns, but the path of the upright is a level highway. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. Let's pray together. Our Father, we desire to understand what your word says, even as we read it. Certainly as we reflect on it in these coming moments. But we need your Holy Spirit to prepare our hearts and to open our eyes so that we might see what you want us to see from this portion of your word. We pray you would do that and we pray you would do it for our benefit, but also for your glory. We ask it in Jesus name. Amen. 
during World War II, there was a Nazi death camp that was placed in the country of Hungary. In this particular death camp, there was a commander who was particularly ruthless and decided to run a horrible experiment. As you would expect, the camp was a wretched place. It lacked all human comforts and necessities. It was overrun by rats, disease. It was a horrific place. The prisoners were required to work in a factory that was located at the camp. Human waste at that factory, human waste was processed and distilled into a fuel product. It was used for the Nazi war effort. So every day, these prisoners would go to work knowing that their work was furthering the Nazi war efforts against themselves. And yet, in the midst of all of that evil, these prisoners not only survived, they actually thrived. In 1944, the Allied forces bombed that factory and reduced it to debris and rubble. That's when the death camp commander decided to do his experiment. The prisoners were ordered to take shovels and rakes and wheelbarrows and to move all of the debris from the factory to the other side of the camp. When they finished, he then ordered them to take their wheelbarrows and their shovels and to move all of the debris back to where it was originally. When they finished, he ordered them to again fill up their wheelbarrows with all the debris and move it to the other side of the camp. When they finished... He had to move it back again. Hour after hour, day after day, week after week, this was their new work. These men who had survived horrors in the death camp for years quickly became mentally and emotionally undone. Some simply died. Some had emotional breakdowns. Some were driven into deep depression. Some chose to charge the soldiers knowing that they would be killed, essentially taking their own lives. The Russian writer Dostoevsky said, Robbed of meaningful work, men will go stark, raving mad. Here's the thing, though. We live in a time and in a culture that is driven by the idea that the best life is one where you don't have to work. The goal is to get to retirement as early as possible and to get to rest and relax and do whatever you want to not have to do work anymore. But the problem with that is that is not how God has wired his peop- all people. We've been created to work. And God has created work for us to do. Now, lest any of you think, well, I don't have a job. Uh, Maybe you're too young to have a job or maybe you're retired. Uh, So this sermon must not apply to me. Well, unfortunately for you and unfortunately for all of us, when the Bible speaks about work, it's not just talking about our jobs, our vocations. The Bible's understanding of work is bigger than that. It's broader than that. It's not just about how we earn a living, how we pay for the necessities of life. The Bible's understanding of work is bigger. A friend of mine, 
says that he thinks a better definition of work is the word service. As we read earlier in our service from Matthew, our service from Matthew 20, Jesus said, "Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve." That's a pretty good definition of how the Bible speaks about work. It's about service. It's about serving. And certainly that includes our jobs. It includes our vocations. But it includes everything we do in life to serve and to be of service. And here's the problem. Our work is hard. As we're going to see later from Genesis chapter 3, the consequences of the fall because of Adam and Eve was that Eve would now have pains in childbearing and Adam would have toil and hardship in his work. And the Hebrew uses the exact same word for the difficulty in Adam's work as the pain in childbearing. Work, serving, is hard. It's painful. It's, it's toilsome. We, we have difficult bosses. We have difficult employees. We have difficult patients. We have difficult customers. We have computers that don't work right. We have children that, don't disobe- that disobey and disrespect. We have crops that we can't get to grow. We have citizens that break the law. We have weeds that we have to remove. We have students who won't try to learn. We have homework that is boring and tedious. We have an art project that just won't come together like we want it to. We have needy people constantly in our lives. Work is hard. We need wisdom about our work. We need God's wisdom about our work. And He gives it to us. He gives it to us in His Word, and in particular today from the book of Proverbs. Let's look and see what it tells us about our work and see that it says three things for us today. First of all, that we need to have the right perspective about our work. Secondly, that we need to have the right motivation for our work. And lastly, we need to have the right frustration about our work. So first of all, we need to have the right perspective about our work. What is your perspective of work? Do you hate it? You wish you didn't have to do it? Proverbs tells us the right perspective about work is that for us to understand that work is good. Look at these first couple of Proverbs. 14.23, in all toil there is profit, but mere talk tends only to poverty. Whoever tends a fig tree will eat its fruit, and he who guards his master will be honored. In work, there is profit. If you tend, if you work a fig tree, you get to eat its fruits. Work is good. It's good for us to work. It's good for us to serve. And we know that work is good, not only from these two Proverbs, but also because of the opening chapters of the Bible. Genesis 1 and 2. God worked. God worked for six days, and then by working, he created the universe. And after he had created Adam and Eve, he gave them work to do in the garden, and that was before the fall. Before sin entered the world, work was a part of the sinless creation. It was good for Adam and Eve and good for the creation for them to work. We know that work is good not only from Genesis 1 and 2, But God actually put the topic of work in the Ten Commandments. The Fourth Commandment says that we are to work six days, then to rest on the Sabbath. 
We know that work is good because Jesus himself worked. He worked as a carpenter. And by the way, he worked as a carpenter for a lot longer than he did his public ministry. We need to have the right perspective about work. What that means first is we need to remember that work is good. It's been created by God and we've been created to work. Because that's true, another perspective we need to have is that underworking is bad. Look at the next few Proverbs 10 verses 4 and 5. A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. He who gathers in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who brings shame. In 13 verse 4, the soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. 20 verse 13, love not sleep lest you come to poverty. Open your eyes and you will have plenty of bread. A slack hand causes poverty there. Uh, that, that word slack there in the Hebrew, it, it has the understanding of, of like a, a bow, a bowstring that is not strung tightly. You can still use it to fire an arrow, but the arrow is not going to go where you wanted it to go. It will miss the mark. It, it has the sense of carelessness and negligence, a lack of care. And it's contrasted here in these verses with the diligent and the diligent, that, that word in the Hebrew has a, a sense of constancy and attentiveness and persistence and effort. Un, underworking is bad. We see it as well in Proverbs 6, 6 through 11. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest? And poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Consider the ant. She prepares and gathers her food. She works during the harvest, so she'll have food during the winter. But not so the sluggard. Not so the one who underworks. By underworking, they don't have what they need. They don't have enough provisions. They are poor and in want. You can see it in Proverbs 20, verse 4 as well. The sluggard does not plow in the autumn. He will seek at harvest and have nothing. Or we could think about the New Testament equivalent of these Proverbs about underworking, not being good. It's Paul speaking in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10. Even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. God created work for us to do. And he created us to do work and to serve. If we're going to have the right perspective about our work, we need to understand that underworking is bad. But as a pastor friend of mine says, I'm going to go to Medlin now. Because probably what's more applicable for us is the perspective on work that overworking is bad. We see that Proverbs 23 verse 4. Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. The, the, the sense of the Hebrew there means don't just work and work and work to acquire wealth. You need to know when to stop. You need to know when to rest. Wealth is fine. Wealth is good. 
But it's not good to overwork for something that you can't keep. You can see it again in Psalm 127, verse 2. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. It is vain, he says. It is not good to live your whole life going and going and going and working and working and working. A life of anxious toil. God has given us the need to stop and to rest and to sleep. He gave us a commandment to that very effect. Six days you shall labor, but on the Sabbath day you shall rest. In fact, God gave sabbaticals in the Old Testament for the people and for the land because he knew that overworking was not good for us. It was not good for the creation. Think about it. What are we saying when we overwork? We know better than God. We know our limitations better than God does. We know our family's limitations better than God does. We know our needs. When we overwork, it is the case that what we're being is arrogant and greedy and selfish, fearful. Now, of course, there are seasons of time when we need to work more than we usually do. But if overworking is the rule for you, rather than the exception, then you don't have the right. You don't have God's perspective about work. And let's be honest, what makes this so difficult for us is that the work, the serving that we are doing is about good and important things. Things like taking care of patients, doing research to bring an end to cancer or other things, protecting people, creating beautiful and meaningful art, taking care of children, volunteering at the church, working the ground, managing people. God has given us good work to do. But we have to listen to what God's word says. We need to have the right perspective about work. Overworking is bad. Harmful. One last perspective on work that we need to have is that our work should be done with excellence. See that first in Proverbs 18 verse 9. Whoever is slack in his work is a brother to him who destroys And then 22, verse 29, do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. Slacking in our work, not doing our work with excellency, we're told it's akin to him who destroys. A man skillful in his work, a man who does work with excellence, stands before kings to be acknowledged. Now, the New Testament equivalent is 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31. I don't have it printed for you in the bulletin, but you probably know it. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Do your work. Do your service to the glory of God, which means to do it to the best of your ability, to do it with excellency. Your jobs, your vocations, your serving of others, all of the ways that you serve, do your best. Do it as if you're doing it for the Lord, because that is what you are doing. We need to have the right perspective about our work and service. We need to know that it is good, that underworking is bad, that overworking is bad, and that we should do it with excellency. 
But because our work, because of our service being so hard and painful and tedious and toilsome, if we don't have the right motivation, it'll be easy to burn out. So what are the right, what are the best uh, motivations and reasons for us to do our work? Well, the first is to acknowledge that the work we're doing is God's calling for us. Again, look at Proverbs 22, verse 29. Do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. A skillful man, a man who has been gifted, a man who has an ability, who has a talent, who has learned experiences. That's what God gives to each and every one of you. He gives you gifts and abilities and talents and experiences and wisdom. He gives you work to do. You can see that as well in the words that, again, are not in your bulletin, but are familiar to you from Ephesians chapter 2. Paul is talking about good work. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Did you hear what Paul said? We are God's workmanship. And we've been created by God to do good work. And God has prepared work for us to do beforehand. And then he calls us to walk or, or to do the work that he's given. That's a powerful motivator for us. God is calling us to our work, to, to the serving of others. And he has equipped us to do the work that he's calling us to do. That gives your work significance and meaning, even if you consider it small and unnoticed. You need to view your work as God's calling for you. There's a sense in which you can say that there is no one else in the world who is supposed to be doing your work, your service in this moment, in this place, in this way, because God has put you there. You're probably familiar with the story about Martin Luther talking to a shoe salesman. It's probably been embellished a little bit over the years, but no less true. It goes this way, the, the salesman is speaking to Luther and he says, Dr. Luther, I am but a humble cobbler, but I'm grateful to God for Christ's justifying work on my behalf. What should I do in light of Christ's great redemptive work for me? Now, we might expect him to say, I've got some things you can do. I've got some work you can do. Let's go uh, tell the gospel to everybody. Let's go and become missionaries. Let's go and, and proclaim the truths of God's word. What does he say to him? No, Luther tells him, go make a better shoe. You're good at making shoes. God's called you to be a shoemaker. Now go do it. Let that motivate you. Your work, your service is a calling from God. And let that motivate, it, motivate you to do it with joy and confidence and perseverance. It's not the only motivation we have to do our work. We also ought to be motivated because it's our opportunity to serve and to bless others. Again, we go back to earlier in our service as we heard from Matthew chapter 20 and Jesus' uh, words there telling us that our work is service to others. That we're working as a servant to bless others. That's why the writer of the Proverbs in 10 verse 5 used the idea of a son. He said, he who gathers in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who brings shame. 
A son who didn't do his work, a son who slept during the harvest. Not only would he not have food to eat, but the proverb says that he would bring shame to his family. His lack of work impacted other people. That means that our work, our service impacts others. When we work and serve faithfully and diligently and persistently, we are serving and blessing other people. And that is a motivator for us. You see, your work is not just about you. It's not just about earning a living and gaining notoriety and recognition and completing tasks. Our work is a way that God gives us to serve and to bless others. And God has said in his word that the faithful Christian living is putting others before ourselves. It's serving others. So our work, our service becomes a way that we can faithfully live the Christian life. Let me just mention a quick aside here. I don't think that you'll find the American idea of retirement in the Bible. Where we stop our jobs and go play golf and fish all day long and spend all of our time traveling and do nothing. That's not a thing in the scriptures. I'm so thankful that we have a church family that is filled with people who have quote unquote retired. Who are such good models for us. In their retirement... They continue to work for and serve and bless others. So for those of us who haven't retired yet, we need to follow their good example. Use our lives to serve and to bless others. Work is hard. Work is painful. Work is toilsome. And so we have to have the right motivation. And the Proverbs and the Scriptures tell us that our work and our service is God's calling in our lives And our work and our service is the way that we get to bless and serve others. And those are powerful motivators for us. Lastly, we need to see that there's a right frustration in our work. What do I mean by that? Well, we have to recognize the reality of thorns in our work. And we see that from a couple of the Proverbs. First from Proverbs 24, verses 30 and 31. I passed by the field of a sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense. And behold, it was overgrown, all overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles, and its stone wall was broken down. Proverbs 15, verse 19. The way of a sluggard is like a hedge of thorns. But the path of the upright is a level highway. Now, these two proverbs are pointing to the reality that the sluggard, the the bad worker, the the underworker, causes there to be thorns that they have to live and deal with. But even if we do our service well, even if we do our work well, the reality is, is that we still have thorns to deal with. We get that from that truth from Genesis chapter 3 toward the bottom of page 8. And to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you and you shall eat the plants of the field. Because of the fall, the ground to be worked is cursed. Working it will now be painful. And again, as I mentioned, that's the same word that's used for Eve's pain in childbirth. Hence, we call childbirth as labor pains. 
The work to work the ground will now involve dealing with thorns. For Adam and Eve, that was literal. And for us, we have thorns in all kinds of our work now. Because of the fall, one of the consequences for everyone is that we have thorns and thistles in our work and our service. Because of the fall, before the fall, work was not toilsome. It was not a burden. It was not cursed. It was not painful. But because of the fall, we have to deal with thorns. Now our work, our service is like being in a field of thorns. We don't just have one thorn to deal with. That would be manageable. You just get pricked with the thorn. You can take it out. You can side your step around it. Now our work is now in the midst of thorns and thistles, a a hedge of thorns, plural. It's like you're in a field of thorn bushes in your work and service. Our work is full of hardships and difficulties and pain and discouragement and failure. And that can weigh heavily on us. It can weigh us down and it can burden our hearts and our souls. But I'll tell you, I think that there's a sense in which that's a good thing. It's a good thing that all of the thorns that we have to deal with can can weigh us down in our work, in our service. Why? Why is that a good thing? It's because the reality and the pain of thorns in our lives pushes us to see the limit of our work and service. It pushes us to see our work and service can never completely satisfy us or fulfill us. It pushes us to want and to hope for something more, something better. It pushes us to long for a cure. For the retirement of the curse. We need to have the right frustration in our work because of the reality of thorns. But we also need to remember that there is a retirement for the curse. The last passage printed for you on, your, on page 8, Galatians 3 verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. On the cross, Jesus became a curse for us. Why? So that we would have the curse removed from us. And on the night that Jesus was crucified, before he went to the cross, he had a crown of what put on his head? A crown of thorns. Thorns were pressed into the flesh of our Savior. And it wasn't an accident. It was a picture for all of time of Jesus taking the curse upon himself. Jesus toiled. Jesus worked. Jesus felt the pain and he carried the burden and was crushed under the weight of his work on the cross. And why did he do it? As our assurance of grace told us earlier in the service, it was for our sake that God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus took the the crown of thorns that were rightly ours to wear and he wore them himself as he hung on the cross and he became cursed. And as a result of him being cursed, the curse for his people is lifted We are given an inheritance of eternal life in the presence of God. We get the rest that Jesus deserved. We get the promise and the joy of a day that is coming when we will be free from our earthly thorns forever. Don't we sing about that? 
No more let sins or sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow, far as the curse is found. Joy to the world. Our work, our service in this life is going to be hard. It's going to be painful. It's going to be full of thorns and thistles. But brothers and sisters in Christ, the more that the wonder and the grace of the gospel gets into our heads and into our hearts, the more we will be motivated and strengthened to persevere and to be diligent in our work and in our service and even to find joy in it. Let's pray together. Father, living in a world that is so full of thorns and thistles, it's easy to become discouraged. In our jobs, in our vocations, in our service, it's easy to become discouraged. We pray that you would give us the right perspective on our work from your word. Help us to remember the motivation we have to do our work and to do our service with, with excellency. Father, Remind us of all that Jesus endured for us to remove the curse from us. Use that to motivate us and strengthen us, we pray in Jesus name. Amen.